Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. In the Gun, episode 118 here of your new favorite WVU football podcast. It's time to recap a tough one. A big loss down there on the prairie against the Oklahoma Sooners. 59-20, to the final score as the Mountaineers fall down in Norman. We will discuss that. We'll catch up with our buddy Big Daddy Mariner as we kind of recap everything that happened this past Saturday. As always, I'm Wesley Euler, best teammates in the business. I've got the signal caller, Jed Drenning, and the runaway beer truck, Big Owen Schmidt, in this episode of ITG. Brought to you in part by our friends at, at Bet Online, pardon me, where the game starts. Before we get into uh, some of the things from the Mountaineer game, of course, a headline is always to get us started. And gentlemen, we are, uh, what, in the second week of November here, which means this is when uh, some heads start to roll, if you will, in terms of some people uh, losing some jobs, some head coaches, some coordinators. Uh, Penn State parting ways with their offensive coordinator after that abysmal performance against Michigan. Uh, Zach Arnett is out at Mississippi State. And yes, I know if you're a WVU fan, you've heard this one discussed already. But Clarksburg's own Jimbo Fisher is out at Texas A&M as well, which was odd timing to me because they just had a big victory. They just went and won by 30 points, and then they fire the head coach afterwards. I don't know, maybe wait till a different time to fire the head coach than after a big, you know, four touchdown win. But uh, here we go, Jed. We got some coaching carousel getting going, heating up uh, kind of as it always does this time of year. Yeah, it does. Uh, it might be the first time in history that you had a game play out like that, a 51 to 10 game and both the winning and losing coach lost their job, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was it's a 41. It was a 41 point win for a and yeah. Highly irregular. But I mean, there's been chatter that, uh, you know, some people believe, oh, this might be the time that Nick actually decides to step down. This is his last hurrah, and he goes off into the sunset with whatever plays out here. And if that's the case, the other blue bloods that are going to make a change want to get out in front of Alabama before Nick does whatever he's going to do. First of all, I don't know that Nick's going to do that, but I've heard that that kind of thinking go into some of the time uh, timelines on these decisions. But, uh, you know, you, you get – Situations playing out where boosters are intimately involved, uh, especially at places like Texas A&M, some more than others, and they hear the talking heads on TV say one too many times, well, we know for a fact you won't make a change there because you can't possibly afford that $77 million buyout, and finally it reaches a point, oh yeah, watch this. We sure can afford it. So Jimbo, uh, all of a sudden... Uh, goes from being the head coach at Texas A&M to having the best job in America, and that's fired football coach. So no offset in his contract. Once again, Jimmy Sexton wins the day, his agent, super agent, who represents just about all these folks, from James Franklin down to Nick on down the line. A no offset in Jimbo's contract, which means he could take another job tomorrow. And typically the way these contracts, or at least I don't even want to say typically, there's no such thing as that anymore. Traditionally, the way these contracts were structured was whatever the buyout might be and the payoff might be, it could be offset by future earnings. In other words, if you took a job at another school, that would cut in to the money you were owed by your previous school. Not the case with Texas A&M. And that's not the only contract out there like this. These are becoming more normal as the agents have gained leverage in these deals. But 
Uh, so Jimbo could take another job tomorrow, and he still owed the full 70-some-odd million from Texas A&M, and it's not going to offset uh, any of his earnings. But, you know, uh, I, I saw a, a tweet somebody had posted that said something to the effect of Jimbo's first job uh, at Sanford paid him 20 grand, and now he'll make 26 grand every day for the next seven years. And I was like, well, first of all, whoever wrote that doesn't know the situation because I know for a fact Jimbo's first job, I, I played for him. He did. He got paid nothing. He was a student assistant. <laughs> he, he was my quarterback coach, not making anything at Sanford as merely a student assistant before he even worked his way up to a full-time member of Terry's staff at Sanford. But, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Uh, the, the kind of money being tossed around. And if, if you're in position, and, and nobody's going to dispute, when you look at the kind of money that the oil giants at Texas A&M can throw around uh, and the endowment of that school, it's more than the rest of the SEC, just about combined or maybe even combined, as I understand it. They have a ton of money. So if you have the money to pay your head coach 70 some odd million dollars not to coach, how much money do you think you have to toy with with on the NIL front? So that's what you're what you're up against here. If you're not one of those elite five or 10 blue bloods, that's what the rest of us are up against is that level of money. And, and the situation, you know, that played out of Mississippi State that's kind of a different animal. You, you had kind of a disjointed, you know, when, when Mike Leach you know, God rest his soul, passed away last year unexpectedly. Uh, his defensive coordinator was elevated. They they tried to do something within the air raid tree from Seth Luttrell on down. Uh, this was like the fifth choice, uh, you know, as their offensive coordinator, the guy they got from Appy State. So it just didn't work out. Uh, and he was kind of put in a tough situation. But on both ends of a 51-10 to 10 game, Mississippi State's loss to Texas A&M, both coaches – uh, are jettisoned after the game and uh, it, it's getting to that time of year uh, where they're trying to jockey for position there these people in these positions of power Owen they know things that we don't know in terms of what's going to happen elsewhere so when they do something it's their best educated guess as to what they have to do to jump out ahead of the posse or ahead of the pack and, and that's kind of where things are at but uh, you know Jimbo Fisher now uh, out there on the unemployment line is one of only a handful of head coaches in the country uh, that has won a national championship. That's the very short list. So, uh, so here we are. Yeah. I don't feel too bad for him, honestly. <laughs> hey, you could pay me, you could pay me $75 million, $76 million to not work. Where do I sign? Yeah. I think he's Best getting 30. I think he's coach. getting somewhere around some 30 million up front. And then he'll take roughly 8 million uh to for the life of the contract that was left it's or 19 million after 60 days yeah uh so I, you know i was talking to somebody about the timeline but and then he at some point he becomes like the bobby bonilla of coaches and gets like seven million annually yeah till 2032 20 i think that's 2026 20, or something it's like starts, jet i want to say you know I, who knows what he'll do you know maybe he'll take a year off uh maybe not I can't imagine I mean, rushing back. I can't imagine rushing back to work if I'm him right now. It's like I'm not saying he's gone, so not gone big... forever, but but rushing yeah. back to work right now. And his is well, so I'll much... say this. I think Jimbo would be a guy who would fit well. And at, at some point, uh, I'll probably end up talking to him. I know I'm gonna talk to those around him, uh, because I always do anyway. 
but uh, I think he'd be terrific in a TV role to catch his breath, get yeah. his feet back under him, remove the ridiculously intense pressure uh, in, involved. In one. I mean, you're, you're talking mafia money. I mean, some of the stories, guys, I can tell you from an SEC job even 25 years ago when they were trying to oust somebody, this this particular somebody that I know that had an SEC job, uh, every day when they reported to work to come to their office, they had to have a crew sweep their office for electronic surveillance devices. They had to debug their office. This is 25 years ago and a fraction of the money that we're talking about with Jimbo at A&M. So you're literally talking mafia level money. So people do desperate, crazy, intensely insane things when that kind of money's on sure. the table. So part of me as a lifelong friend of the Jimbo's, I I'm kind of happy to see him put this behind him and move on to whatever comes next. But like I said, I think he should decompress, maybe jump into a TV spot. He, he might like it more than he thinks. So I think he'd be a natural for it and then kind of recalibrate and see what he wants to do. I mean, look at yeah. Gus Malzahn. Gus did this. The biggest buyout previous to this, and it paled by comparison, was Gus at what, what was it, Wes? 20 million, 21 million? I, was gonna, I, at think, it was, I think it was 20 something, yeah. Yeah, 20 some odd million at Auburn. Now, Auburn's still paying Gus. And Gus is, everybody around Gus, whether it's Herb or anybody else, tells you how happy Gus is at UCF. Now, UCF was granted a G5 job when he took it, and they've just recently jumped into the P5 level in the Big 12, but it's not the same as being at Auburn. Yeah, I mean, the power brokers, some of these higher-tier, upper-tier SEC schools, are just, it's off the hook. Uh, the expectations come with the money. So, you know, I can understand being happier to place like UCF just collecting those checks from Auburn, right? Yeah, I'm I'm throwing a hypothetical in the mix here so we can have something to BS about. Jimbo goes into a TV role, let's yeah. say a year or two, and one odd coach from Sud uh, Mountaineer team. No, I knew that. Gets let go. Not for anybody mentioned that. Does yeah, no one's no one's talked about this yet? Does Jimbo come out of that media role and possibly coach said school? I can't speak for Jimbo, but I'm not ruling anything out. I mean, I uh, Jimbo's a West Virginia guy. Yeah, sure, but it's uh, I mean, and first of all, let, let, let's let's hope we never confront a situation like that. Uh, that means good things came our way. Uh, but uh, Jimbo, I, I can almost assure you, is going to coach again. He's too fiercely competitive not to. As much as I'd like to say, hey, collect this money, enjoy your life, jump into the media, I, I think you'll like it more than you might think you'd like it. Uh, you'd be a natural for it. You'd settle right in, and the next thing you know, you're not out there recruiting like a dog in the offseason. Uh, but I mean, I'm not going to rule any job, including West Virginia, out. I mean, I'm not. It's like, I'll put it to you like this. He's a Harrison County guy. You know, uh, his brother runs three farms in Harrison County, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's you, you can't rule any of these scenarios out. You, you really can't. Uh, the only thing that I would rule out is if somebody says, no, no way Jimbo's ever coaching again. I, ju I just can't bring myself to believe that, even if that's something I, I would perfectly understand if I was him. But he's just such a – you don't get to this station in life being one of these guys, yeah. winning one of these titles. 
that uh, without being so competitive, it's it's not about the money. I mean, you have to. I I could walk you through Jimbo's career, and it took so long for him to earn any kind of money before things broke for Terry, and they took the Auburn job in '93. Uh, he basically coached for free for the better part of five years. Uh, so you don't get into it for the money, but, but I do think at some point he will, but yeah, you're not gonna roll anything out. Uh, you're, you're not going to do that. Uh, I mean, he's even said, uh, publicly that, you know, West Virginia's home. Of course it is. You know, he's a Harrison County guy. He's a Glen Elk guy or, you know, it's uh, Glen Falls. And I, uh, when you come from Harrison County and, and, and have farms like that, he's home all the time. You know, so uh, uh, like I said, don't rule anything out West Virginia or otherwise. I, I do think at some point he's going to coach somewhere much like Gus did. I mean, Gus could have done the same thing and just retreated into the offing and, and had enough money to live happily ever after. That's not what these guys do. That's not what they do. So. I, I'll i be interested to see what his next move is. I mean, it's. I'm completely with you, Jed. Whether it's buyout with seventy something million or seven million, um, those coaches don't reach that level of success in their business without being wired differently than the rest of us. They're sure. extreme. They're extreme competitors. And I, I mean, he's he is fifty eight, right? So he's not thirty eight or he's not forty five, but he's also only yeah. fifty eight. He's not sixty eight either. Um, it'll be interesting to see what his next move is because I no. I don't know what A&M's thinking. I mean, listen, just having stupid money doesn't make you a blue blood. You know, like, I don't care how rich you are. You're not Alabama. You're not Georgia. You're not Ohio State or Michigan. Like, like, you're just not. You're a good program, and you've got a ton of money, and that means a lot in the NIL uh, age, certainly. But he was 45 and 25 at Texas A&M. He had a winning record 27 and 21 in the hardest division in college sports, the SEC West. So international championships since the 1930s was. Yeah, I I mean I I look at it again. He's 45 and 25 at A and M. I who am I? I don't know squat about College Station. I've never been there. I'm not. And I know again that they have stupid, dumb money. But that doesn't make you a blue blood. I think the expectations there are a little high. Um, I mean he won nine games, eight games, nine games, eight games, and then had the the five and seven season last year. Um. I mean, in 2020, they were the first team out of the college football playoff, weren't they? And they finished finish, finish fifth in the college football playoff, uh, you know, oh, conversation. You're really good year. Yeah. yeah, they were eight and yeah. one that season or whatever it was in the shortened COVID year. So he's a good coach. Um, and obviously, this will be something we keep an eye on because of the connections to West Virginia, because of you well, know, the is, that he's made in the past. About every six weeks, uh, I find myself in Salem. Uh, and, and I would know Salem well. Uh, but there's a, a clinic down there that, that I stop in and, and I, I service those folks in that clinic. And, and, uh, instead of just jumping off 50 right there, a couple hundred yards to pull into the clinic, I always kind of go the back way. Cause I, I spent part of my formative years in Salem. Cause I had some buddies that played at Salem when I was in high school. And I spent a lot of time down there on the weekends and, and, uh, watching those, those Salem Tigers games back when they had a program. And that's when I first met Jimbo. I mean, I kind of revered Jimbo. I was still in high school, and I'm watching Jimbo just absolutely light it up at Salem College. I mean, he was special, and uh, I mean, he was he was something else. So I I still find myself going the back way through town, 
and and I still drive by old Tiger Stadium there in Salem, and I keep thinking to myself, that's the house Jimbo built, you know. Uh, and, and I used to go to those mud slog games up there. I, you know, I but when Rich was coaching at one point, Jimbo was playing at one point. So uh, I have a lot of history there, but yeah, you go into Clarksburg and you see the sign as you as you get off the Pike Street exit. Uh, I don't know if you guys have done that, but it says home of Jimbo Fisher, 2013 national champion. Uh, that's there the sign you see as you get off the Pike Street exit. And uh, so he's he's revered. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I've, he's been in my life a long time for a host of reasons, but so was his family. His brother was my roommate, uh, Brian. We call him Buck Henry. But uh, his brother was my roommate at Sanford, and, and uh, you know I, I, I've always been been pretty tight with the Fishers. But but yeah, I just he's he's wildly competitive, so something's gonna happen, and and he's gonna just like Rich did. Oh, and, oh, Rich stepped out for a year, you know, between jobs. Uh, you know, he worked with CBS, kind of felt things out, and and even when you talk to Rich during that year, what it put him in a position to do was he had a chance to visit other programs and kind of check out, Oh, they're doing this. They're doing that. I like that idea. I like this idea and harvest some of those ideas. So that's yeah. the type of thing from a template standpoint that if I'm Jimbo, uh, I'd like to see him do that. Take a deep breath, pump the brakes, enjoy your life for a little bit. You know, your kid just accepted a, an offer to Sanford where he used to coach and uh enjoy your life a little bit maybe go watch him a time or two uh you have the rest of your life to get back into this go jump into the media where you kind of it's a different animal a different schedule it's not less labor intensive and uh, and see where that goes and just let things unfold but but who knows I, again i can't speak for jimbo you know so uh, that's just what I'd, I'd like to see him do uh i think that'd be best for him for immediately be best for him i should say Owen, what I would like to see him do is cut a check to the In the Gun podcast right now for one million dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> a thank you to Toothman Ford, our guy, JR, and our friends there in Grafton. We all know cars cost less in Grafton. Make sure you're uh, supporting Toothman Ford. They support us. They support WVU athletes, a couple dozen with NIL doing great stuff down there in Grafton. All right, gentlemen. We'll 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 talk more about Jimbo in the future. All right. This story ain't going away, whether it relates to WVU at some point down the road or whether he just takes uh, another collegiate head coaching job. We will discuss Jimbo. Uh, this will not be the last of this story. But now it is time to uh, to get to a little meat and potatoes here. Of course, we got to talk uh, that tough one on Saturday down on the prairie, Oklahoma with a 59 to 20 win. And Jed, I uh, kept thinking about this. You said this after. When we were recapping the TCU game, I believe you said when teams get the ball to start the game and they go right down and, and I'm paraphrasing this a little about. bit, but you go, they go right down the field and score a touchdown. One of two things yep. happens. Yep, either exactly. one, either one, they roll and, and it's an easy game and they win comfortably and it's their day and they're on fire. Or you shot or, your wad. Or yeah. two, you kind of shot your wad and, and, and you, you, you had your, your best game plan and that was it. But then now it's kind of all out there and, 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 and you're not going to have a ton to go off of after that. Uh, unfortunately, I was thinking about that in the, in the first half on, yeah. uh, on Saturday night. I don't know where you want to start here. I never know where to start in a game, uh, you know, after that one. So where tell us tell us where we begin here, dear signal caller. I, I'm going to start with what I view as the obvious, and that is if you want to go on the road into a venue like that against what is a Blue Blood brand, 
one of the 10, 15 blue blood brands in college football. Under the lights, the most difficult circumstances possible. They haven't played at home in a couple of weeks. They haven't played under the lights in a while. They're hungry for it. They're, they're ticked off. They lost two in a row. You better play your best game and then kind of hope for some help. I don't know if you're, if they play their best game and you play your best game, I'm not sure West Virginia's roster versus their roster, best game versus best game's enough. You have to first play your best game and then hope for some help. Uh, well, let's start with this. Uh, Oklahoma played their best game. They did. I've watched every game they played this year. The coaches cut the checkerboard. And then the obvious part, West Virginia did not. We did not. So it would have taken our best game to hang with them and have any kind of chance. It really would have. Uh, and we didn't put that forward. And you thought based on the last couple of weeks, how do you project this stuff? Who knows? But based on the way we played uh, the last couple of weeks, we took care of business against, you know, what, what, you know, you could say was an overmatched opponent against BYU, against BYU. We did what good teams do against a team like that. BYU was on the road. BYU was facing the tough circumstances. Uh, but, you know, I, I stepped into that stadium Saturday night and as kickoff approached and the vibe started to build, we'd been out there. That was our sixth trip. And we played them early. We played them mid-afternoon. We played them late. And not every game's created equally. I would even say that two years ago, the, under the lights was different than this game under the lights. That had a completely different vibe. This had a vibe of 83,000 wildly hungry and desperate fans, a wildly hungry and desperate team that was about to bring their premium effort. And you better buckle up with your best effort. And we didn't do that. Despite the fast start, I more got the sense that maybe Oklahoma was feeling us out. And the way they answered, it, it more intrigued me. We came out swinging on both sides of the ball. We came out swinging with the opening drive drove down and took the lead and then we came out swinging defensively it just didn't work what i saw was oklahoma oh when they started the game their first two snaps they jumped into empty and i was like what's going on here that's that's a little atypical to start with uh you know five receiver sets the first two snaps of the game so they were trying to isolate some matchups well on the first snap what we did was something we don't often do we went with a zero blitz we brought six and manned them up across the board, matched heads and brought six. Uh, I don't think Gabriel was expecting that, but he calibrates pretty quickly. I don't think he was expecting that. Uh, so we forced a premature throw. Now, second snap, once again, they went empty. Now, again, you're trying to keep him off balance. The last thing you want to do against a guy like Dylan Gabriel is let him get a bead on what you're doing. So second snap, they go empty. Now, what do we do on the second snap? Do we come out and do the same thing on the second snap so we can get a beat on it? No, almost the exact opposite. We parked too high. We actually matched heads on the perimeter, all five wides with too high. We left four in the box. I was almost expecting, I think they're going to check into a quarterback draw, the five on four. Nope. We dropped uh, too high, dropped eight into coverage, rushed three, boom, he slices us. They come back. They go with a pro formation or a pro personnel set. We jumped back into zero. It was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when you watch that first drive, we gave him multiple looks. And he just quickly adjusted, quickly calibrated, found the hole, found the matchup. There were matchups they were trying to isolate. There were matchups that they liked. And they marched down the field and they scored. And even on the second drive, after they stopped us, same type of thing. We're throwing different looks at them. 
Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the guys, though, that we were rushing. We brought six in the first snap, then three, then five. Then five, we had a near sack. Uh, in other words, they went with 10 personnel, a true rip and Liz look like twins, right? Twins left. We brought five, started him a little bit there. I think what we did, Owen, we had a combo coverage behind it. And basically when I watched what Oklahoma was doing, uh, most of their routes were more conducive to zone coverage and not match zone or match man. And we caught him a bit off source. Remember when we almost sacked him and he shook loose and rolled left and found the tight end Stogner on that. That's what happened there. Uh, so we almost had him on that one because we confused him just a bit, but he was slippery enough to get loose, break outside. And then even on the sack with Sean, you know, what we did on that sack that Sean Martin had, we brought three, we dropped eight into coverage. That wasn't because we outnumbered him through a zero blitz at no, we were going back and forth with these different looks and trying to feel him out and confuse him. And the sack that we had early in the game on that second possession was a three-man rush because he wasn't expecting eight to drop into coverage. But eventually they calibrated, and eventually they started getting the matchups that they wanted and isolating, whether it was a combination of one of our safeties on one of their slots or one of our backers on one of their slot or tight end. Uh, and there were just different looks. They did a good job of then turning it into RPO, uh, and he read the RPO like – almost impeccably and put us in conflict. And then there were times that we would try and disguise our coverage. And, you know, we always call it a snitch in the coverage. Is there anything on the back end that a really, really high end quarterback can identify? Uh, that's why you watch the level of tape or the amount of tape that you watch. You're looking for that snitch who will snitch on that coverage and betray what you're trying to hide defensively and, and tell the truth. Right. Well, sometimes we would go with a too high look and try and present to him some form of either too deep or cover four quarters. And we would roll from that post snap into a one high. And there's reasons you do that. If you show him pre-snap and he's, and, and he's convinced that you're in a too high look, he might not attack those seams as aggressively from an RPO standpoint. But if he knows you're in one high, He's going to split your safety with, with those seams off the RPO. So there were a couple of times we tried to show that too high, and we were just a touch, touch early rolling out of the two shell into the one high look. And guess who recognized that? I would tell you, I bet you 10 out of 12 quarterbacks in the schedule, you'd get away with that. Dylan Gabriel, you don't. If you go just a slight beat prematurely and roll out of that too high configuration that you're trying to trick him with into a one high look, Boom, he finds a beat on it, RPO, up the seam he goes. And a couple of those that you saw, like one missed tackle on a 50-yard gain, that's what was happening there. I mean, I, again, 10 out of 12 quarterbacks on our schedule, you're going to get away with that, but not him. I mean, that guy can snitch out of coverage. Uh, he He's very impressive. Uh, and, you know, he, he found the matchups that they wanted. They game-planned as well. And uh, when I look at what they were doing to us offensively, because that's what you want to start with when they dropped 59 on us. When I look at what they were doing offensively, that's what I would start with. And they they mixed just enough in with the run game to keep us honest and aggressive with that uh, with that RPO element of what they were doing. But uh, Drake Stoops is an underrated asset. I mean, you have to you have to say that. I mean, that kid was balling out. I can't uh, wait till there's no longer any Stoops associated with Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I mean, I how many how many do they got? How many do they got? Good lord. Yeah. Well, that's his sixth year. It just seems like four of them. But uh, Nick Anderson's a player, guys. That, that freshman they got, 
boy, he's going to be special. And and it's going to, strange to say, but it's going to cost them something to keep him, which I think they'll they'll reach into their pockets and find a way. But Nick Anderson's a big-bodied playmaker, that freshman they got. And, uh, and Stogner, credit to them. You know, as I'm watching tape this week, or last week, I should say, uh, I kept thinking to myself, Stogner hasn't been activated in most of their game plans. He really hasn't. And even last year, their tight end slash H-backs were a bigger part of what they did with Jeff Levy's scheme. I mean, obviously, they were a big part of what they did with Lincoln, uh, you know, for Mark Andrews on down the line when Lincoln was was out there. But uh, even last year, they used the tight end and H-back more. But this year, they hadn't used Stogner much. And uh, that was the extra wrinkle. You're always wondering, what are they going to throw at us that they haven't thrown anybody else? Well, that was one of the wrinkles. Uh, so credit to them. But uh, they protected us just well enough. But this was one of those games, guys, that, yeah, I credit their offensive line for a great job at pass pro, even when we brought zero blitz. But when you face a quarterback who's a master within his scheme, very comfortable with his quick answer throws, understands the big picture of what they're trying to do, and maybe it's just the quarterback in me that's always seen this. When I hear defensive coordinators talk about attacking someone and being aggressive, to rattle a quarterback, I'm like, well, that works against most quarterbacks. But if a quarterback reaches a level of comfort in his scheme where he understands the quick answer throws, I mean, I used to think to myself, I was like, man, I hope they come out with a lot of zero today. I really do. I just not because I was exceptional, but because I knew my quick answer throws that well. You were not going to get to me with that free rusher before the ball was gone. I'll trade that shot for that throw every time. And Dylan Gabriel was way beyond that. And he played as big a role in his own protection as did his own line. And uh, that's what was impressive about it. We didn't bring our best effort defensively. Uh, we didn't tackle well. We didn't play well in space. Uh, we didn't play well in positions of conflict when the RPO us. That was the biggest thing I noticed. But And against playmakers like that, uh, you, you, you can't play like that against a team like that when they're playing their best which it turned out they did. This wasn't the effort they brought against the Central Florida team, the UCF team they played in Norman. It wasn't the effort they bought, brought in the two losses the last couple of weeks on the road in a different environment. Uh, they bounced back. I've seen them play like this before, uh, but it had been a while, uh, maybe not this year. I'd seen them play like this before, and and they they brought the best that they can bring. And, and defensively, we didn't have the answers. Uh, we weren't playing well enough to have the answers, but uh, we, we threw a lot of looks at him and tried Owen to, to keep him off balance. So it wasn't, wasn't for lack of effort. Uh, it just, it wasn't getting home and it wasn't confusing him. We weren't tackling well enough. We weren't shedding blocks well enough. And, uh, and that's what I saw when they had the ball. Yeah. I just didn't think we made him uncomfortable enough. Yep. So, you know, that was kind of our, one of our keys to victory anyways, but that's a bummer. Uh, we took a we took an arse beating there. Uh, our cheeks are definitely sore. I'm sure. Um, it's unfortunate, man. I mean, you're gonna take licks like that. It's just, it's tough taking one that bad, knowing that. You know, I don't know. This league is crazy this year. I mean, you're right. This it's league crazy. is crazy this year. I thought I thought the... we can't let those we can't let those guys sneak into the Big Twelve championship game. Oklahoma State, Kansas State, do your part. All right, we cannot let these freaking Sooners sneak into the Big Twelve. Well, buddy, that's what I'm saying. Like how you know, I'm thinking Ollie Gordon in the in Oklahoma State's gonna roll UFC. You or, sorry, USF. 
or uh, UCF, and uh, yes, UCF yeah. comes out with SpaceX uniforms and uh, blows them out of the water, holds them for fifty some yards. I mean, wh- who would have thought that? Who saw, Did you yeah, really think that, that was going to happen? Who saw? Nobody. Nobody saw that coming. Like nobody I'm like, what? It smells on. It's like that. It's a dude. What the hell? Gundy got a Grundy, son. Well, did you guys real well, quick it's, aside? It's, did you see what Gundy did today for his press conference? I did not. He showed up with his two dogs to his press conference today. Oh wow! And he goes up to the podium and he goes, "I, I yeah, I, I figured you guys were going to crush me and grill me today, so I brought my two dogs as a as a as a as a buffer for a little reinforcement." Buffer, wow. Human shields, canine shields. Yeah, well, how about that? Well, sometimes, guys, and I've heard this said many times through the years by someone much wiser than me, many people much wiser than me. Sometimes you football is a simple game, and sometimes you can simply reduce it down to, look, it's about how simple can I make life for my quarterback and how difficult can I make it for yours? And if you can achieve both those things, you're going to win a lot of football games. And it was pretty clear to anybody watching that game Saturday night Life was pretty simple for Dylan Gabriel, yeah. and life was supremely difficult for Garrett Green. That That's kind of what it felt like when we had the football. Again, it, it didn't feel like we ran for 176 yards. I think it's because, first of all, that's way more than Oklahoma's allowing this year. But it's just we, we've set a standard with that offensive line that to watch them be something short of dominant, much less than lose at the point of attack – it, you're not used to seeing that. And there were some things we didn't respond well to. We got out leveraged. Uh, I think a lot of times they won with their pad level. Uh, they had a, a, a certain quickness to them in their front seven that uh, that I don't think we reacted too well when they were playing their stunt game on. And I mean, they had disruption. It, it, it's almost like sometimes matchups are bad. And, and even when you look last year, he's what, what they do in Brent Venable's defense, they're highly aggressive. They roll the dice and they shoot gaps. Sometimes they miss those gaps. And in the quarterback run game, that's part of what Garrett was saying after the game. Last year, one of the big differences was they weren't as gap sound and they lacked gap, gap integrity when they shot those gaps last year, even though they were disrupted. But last year, we allowed, outside of the Oklahoma game, last year, four TFLs per game. And even in the game when we beat them, we allowed 12. It was a bad matchup. But again, we offset that with the big plays when they weren't gap sound. This year, outside of the Oklahoma game, we're allowing about four and a half TFLs a game. They had eight. The difference this year was, yes, they were disruptive. Yes, they were knocking us backwards, unlike anybody this year so far has. But we weren't offsetting it with those big plays, those 10, 15, 20-yard plays because they they had better gap integrity this year. That's one of the things I noticed. And some guys that I was impressed with, uh, Kendall Dolby, a strong safety, played a heck of a game, Billy Bowman. I mean, there were some things we tried to do against him in coverage, but just as a well-rounded football player, I was impressed by him. Woody Washington really held his own out there on the perimeter at corner. But but the guy that jumped out at me, and he only had eight tackles. It's not going to jump off the, the stat sheet at you. But it's just he was always around the football. Danny Stutzman. I mean, that linebacker, he's been banged up. He missed some time. That contributed to, to kind of their stagger in recent weeks. He was back, and we kind of wondered he was going to be a game-time decision, right? Uh, while I was talking to Drew Fabianich on the field, and I said, what do you think, Drew? I think you think he's going to play. And he said, Jed, he has three braces on. He's playing. 
You don't put three braces on to go through pregame and not play. He has an elbow brace, a knee brace. He said he's playing. And, you know, Drew, he's been around long enough. Of course, he, he nailed it. And uh, Stutzman came out, and he played and played full speed, played lights out. I mean, he's just – he's what I think Ben Cutter can become in three years. That's what I think you're looking at. And Stutzman's there, and he's just the emotional leader for that defense. So they were charged up to finally get him back in the lineup. I mean, there were so many different things that was a recipe for disaster, and we had to bring a, bring a premium effort to offset the shot that Oklahoma was going to deliver – and we didn't bring that premium effort. And, and like I said, even the premium effort would have been tough to still be standing after what they were going to bring. But we'll never know because we didn't bring that kind of effort. We, we didn't bring that kind of efficiency. Uh, we were a flawed football team with a lot of holes on both sides of the football. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's frustrating, the struggle. Uh, I mean, Garrett was out of sorts. I mean, he even admitted. Uh, he's like, look, to some extent, it looked like there were bodies everywhere. I mean, they kind of had him seeing ghosts because we talked last week how critical it was to stay out of third and longs. Well, one of the reasons you got to stay out of third and longs is because that's when he starts bringing up, dialing up. That's when Venable starts dialing up these creative simulated pressures. So in other words, they're only bringing four, but it seems like they're bringing six because they convinced the O-line, this guy's coming, this guy's coming, or next thing you know, they don't, they bail, and the wrong four come, and you're outnumbered and outleveraged to one side, and you're wasting half your assets on the other side, and, and he's under pressure and has to scramble, and he's looking to throw into a seven-man coverage when it feels like there are six guys blitzing, and that's not the case. So when you fall behind the sticks, we said it all week, guys, if they win the TFL battle, that's what they do. They get you into third and seven or longer 57% of the time. That's why those TFLs matter. They led the, they the conference in TFLs. They were among the national leaders in TFLs. That's why we had to win that battle, and we didn't. We got knocked off schedule. We got knocked off script. The next thing you know, we're not stopping them, and they keep separating more and more and more. It's 17 to 7, and we have to go for a fourth and two in our own territory because it already felt like that type of game in the second quarter. We don't get it. Now it's 24 to 7. Now all of a sudden, as Neil talked about, now we have to throw it more than we intended on throwing it. Now we're kind of out of sorts offensively. So all those things kind of contributed just to a a nightmare of a night and. uh and I, I mean, I didn't understand even toward the end, but hey, more power to him. It reminded me of the uh, of the DB2, you know, scoring with six seconds left up 31 to 15. I was saying, why are you with your, your star starting quarterback up 32 points in the fourth quarter with six minutes to go? Why are you running him? What are you doing? Are you that? And, and part of me thought, look, Jeff Levy's, and in my estimation, it's not fair. He's doing a great job out there. Even last week going into the game, they had the number one offense in the Big 12 from a scoring standpoint, a yardage standpoint, but the fans were still giving him the business, the offensive coordinator out there. So I almost got the sense, like, are you so desperate to have Dylan Gabriel set a school record by accounting for eight touchdowns? that was six minutes to go in a game that has long since been decided, you're going to run him and subject him to vicious shots going down the field just so you can get that record and shut everybody up about this. Hey, Lincoln Riley never did this. Eight touchdowns by one. Really? I, I don't. I can't come up with another reason. I mean, I even had somebody in the postgame presser, I was talking to one of their beat reporters when I brought that up. He's like, well, they wanted a redshirt Jackson Arnold. I'm like, look, did I say I have a problem playing Dylan Gabriel? Or did I say I have a problem running him and subjecting him to shots with six minutes left, which they regularly would do? That just, to me, that wasn't smart on their part. I mean, more power to them. Score eight, nine touchdowns. It's our job to stop them. But if I'm Oklahoma, 
he's on the sidelines getting ready for next week because they're still in the thick of trying to get to Jerry World and win this league. But I think he's going to be an instrumental part in that. But I could not have been more impressed than I was by what Dylan Gabriel did. <sighs> yeah, he was pretty good. We said our <laughs> best number, guys had to play their best. They didn't yeah, that, number, that number that number eight Unity really made some plays out there. He was throwing it to twelve Unity. He was handing it off yeah. to Unity. He was no, not thumbs up, you stupid Zoom. Thumbs down. All right. Uh, yeah, and Jed, you know, you mentioned some of the like I I, I wrote all this down. Would it yeah. have mattered? Would it have mattered? I don't know. Right. But you score the touchdown on your opening drive. Great. Can't have a better start than that. Oklahoma comes back and you've got a big opportunity early, right, on a third and goal to hold them. And and, and they end up kicking a field goal or maybe they end up going for it on fourth. Who knows? But that was a big moment. Dylan Gabriel scores the rushing touchdown. Oklahoma gets the ball back. They're driving down the field. Third and 11 in the red zone. Third and 11. And you let them convert that, and then they convert another third and goal on a Dylan Gabriel touchdown, and all of a sudden it's 14-7 when you've had some opportunities to get off the field or at least hold them to field goals. And then what happens? You get the gift of all gifts, right? You get a muffed punt. Um, it dropped right in your lap and, and perfect field position, and you go three and out, and you miss the field goal. And at that I moment, it felt, like the ga- at that moment it felt like the game was over. It was only 14-7 to seven at the, it, towards the end of the first quarter, but it felt like the game was over because you had so many opportunities there to do something, and you didn't take advantage of any of them. The two third and goals, the third and 11 from the red zone, the muffed punt, and again, who knows if it matters. All those things go your direction, and you still end up losing by 20 Wes, how many times after the Oklahoma State game did we hear, I've never in my life seen a player run into their own punt returner. Well, three weeks later, you saw it again. So it does happen. But to me, the game in microcosm was the goal line stand by Oklahoma. That was the game in microcosm. In other words, we weren't able to do that on the other end. That's right. If our offensive line, being the offensive line that it has been all year, can't move bodies to get that final yard, whether Garrett got in on first down or not. We had we had three more cracks from the one, and, and we couldn't move their bodies to just out leverage. They out leveraged us. So when they got better pad level, they shot the gaps, they penetrated, uh, they disrupted. I mean, w- when we ran that shovel pass, Neil said it was a bad call, but I'm telling you what, I was standing on the goal line. I mean, he said it was a bad call on his part. He said, I wish I'd have called something different. Well, let me tell you, we had the jet, jet sweep action. When I saw Garrett flip that thing, I thought for a fleet second, oh, man, CJ's going to walk in. And then, boom, here's his penetration. <laughs> just Because Tony was asking me as they reviewed it, because I'm literally on the goal line. He said, Jed, how did it look to you? Was, was we got a shot here? I was like, there is no way in the world that ball was even close to the goal line. Not even close. They just had too much penetration. So the whole night was represented to me in that one sequence. That was the night in microcosm, that that they could do that against our offensive line. Nobody's done that. Penn State didn't do that. So that kind of spoke to what played out for the balance of 60 minutes. I think that about sums it up. All right, gentlemen, what do you say here? We get to a break. We'll bring in Big Daddy to close this thing down on the other side. We'll get his thoughts, observations, quirks from the sideline. When we come back here on the other side, Wesley Euler, Jed Drenning, Owen Schmidt, you are 
in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guarantee to, to save, save you thousands. thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. Let's go, Mountaineer fans. You're tuned in to In the Gun with Wes, the runaway beer truck, and the signal caller. Back in the gun here. It is time to wrap up this Oklahoma recap, and the best way to do so is with our handsome, tubby man of gold, our friend, your friend, the mayor of Morgantown, Mr. Big Daddy Sean Mariner. Now, Sean, let's just cut and dry here, okay? I am counting on you to just... Give a, tell us something funny, a story, an anecdote, something that happened. Just make, can you make me laugh, funny guy? All right, because you know it's it's been a it's been a depressing episode here. Two, two. Surprisingly, I'll go right to food. I know none of you would have guessed that. <laughs> two words: torchies, tacos. There's one across the street oh, from buddy. the hotel. When I tell yes. you that in my email, I'm like, yo, this is where I'm going for breakfast. I'm getting my breakfast tacos. I go over there. There's already. Seven Mountaineers there. The state troopers came in after us. Eight more people came in after them. And then I took a phone call from Tony Caridi when he and his gang went over there to tell them. charged. Like, that's... that. I was that, part that, of that Torchies, gang. Torchies that, is that, awesome. I'm telling you, Torchies. Norman, where we stay, the amount of food and everything right around is heaven on earth. Like, I'm going to miss going to Oklahoma just for the hotel and the location alone. <laughs> that area has boomed. Hasn't it, Big Daddy? And it's it's one of those weird things, Jed, where it's like we get to watch it grow. Like we we were the only hotel. Yeah. There was one place across the street when we started going there in like 2013. And now 10 years later, it's a metropolis. And I feel like a proud parent every time we're around. We were sitting there eating because they got that West Virginia money, you know. Nothing's more Norman than sitting there eating a Torchy's tacos and hear the uh uh the tornado siren, yep. you know, blare. Yep. Uh, over top of everything at high noon, right? Yep. How could you? And, that, how and could it was just because tornado, it was noon. How could you hear the tornado siren over Boomer Sooner? Hadn't started yet. There, that's a low, slow arriving crowd. So it was, it was still early in the day. See, oh, look what you did. Falling. 
Look what you did, you little jerk. Down behind me. <laughs> Look what you did, you little jerk. Where are you Friday night, night, Big Daddy? It's a nice Where's home alone drop by. Friday night was Saltgrass Steakhouse. It's just a chain, but it's a Texas chain, and it's akin to a Longhorn, and I had me a good I time. I saw our, our our dear buddy, Angelica Trenone, dear Jelly. Yep. She posted a – Jed, I should have taken a screenshot of it because it's one of those Instagram stories that's only there for 24 hours, and then it's gone. Yeah. She posted a picture – her and Big Daddy at dinner of Sean with his plate and everything in front of him. And our guy, Sean, just looked like the happiest man in the world in that Please moment. Please just punch. Just screen grab that. Please just punch. Creole, eight-ounce top sirloin with some fried crawfish tails, a little lemon butter and green onion. Get out of here. Yeah, we did Vans pig stand Friday night. like a darn king over there. Your fat buddy knows Van. how to make it happen on the road. You've been to Vans, Big Daddy? Never been, just because if I am in Oklahoma and or Oklahoma City, I'm going to Joe's. And, and well, there's a couple places in downtown OKC that were good that we would go to for barbecue. Everybody's always talked about Vans, but I heard it might not have been the best that evening. The brisket, the brisket, everybody was saying the brisket was kind of by, by the standards we're used to in the Southwest on these trips, yeah. but it, it wasn't up to up to par. But uh, I, I thought the pork barbecue was good. I thought that yeah. the, the chicken strips were like the grilled chicken strip. But anyway, we we had a, a nice little feast. We, at least we got something out of the trip Friday night. But Big Daddy, what I wanted to tell these guys about, you and I on, on the sidelines talking after the extravaganza that was the uh, – uh, the field entrance, right? Yes. So you got to stand there in the whole. Now, first of all, it's changed, and I've talked about this before. In the in the ten years or so we've been going out there, they used to put you in this holding cage outside in the tunnel outside your locker room, and you'd be held there waiting to come onto the field with surrounded by Sooner fans over top. Well, now it's more of an NFL field. You come down a corridor, a giant open, you know, uh, opening into the stadium in the corner of the end zone, and they hold you there. But now you get to watch the sooner entrance video and the light show and the noise and just all the extravaganza of that. And I told big daddy on the sidelines, we thought this was a good sign, not a bad sign. Right. I said, when I was sitting there watching all of us take that in, you know, the Mountaineer team and even the Mountaineer mascots right in front of us and the cheerleaders, we all felt like we were like Ivan Drago getting ready to fight Apollo Creed. <laughs> Remember Drago was just staring like, what is this nonsense? All the flashy lights and he's screaming, you know, singing living in America's play. And that's what it felt like. Oklahoma was Apollo Creed coming, coming into the ring. And we were just standing there like, like Ivan Drago, like, what is this craziness? Just, can we just play the football game? But literally we know we were going to be on the business end of it. Well, and then first Ivan drive, Drago. we're kind of looking around like, yeah, yeah. here we go. Yeah, I think that's All when right. I said that to you. Yeah, like, exactly. I like it. I like it. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know we were Creed. Yeah. Well, and I was super jacked up after that uh that video y'all made. That uh well, well, there's a reason, Owen, and you say y'all, that was Andrew, and that was because they got the one, the Owen, the only Owen to voice it yeah. over. First of all, I want to know how did Owen, I mean, how did you not you you kept that one in your in your in your front pocket there? I mean, you weren't spilling any beans, you weren't putting any teasers out there, you just quietly going about your business, big O. That I mean, that's kind of how it was. They asked me, and then I, I didn't forget. I just I didn't I didn't get to it. You always gotta and, love I, I swear I didn't forget, guys. I didn't. I didn't it's forget. Just, you know, He's, on my on my list of uh on my on my busy week, you know, that narrating the WVU hype video was just a it slipped my mind down there. And it, I mean, Ross he's like with us, huh? Friday night, Did the he? guy that made that video, 
No, he Andrew makes it. Andrew Friday makes night. the hype video. Oh, so Andrew made it. What, what it, did yeah, Ross have guy, to do so with it? He, he called me Monday, or he popped his head in Monday when we were over, last Monday, we were over at the presser, and he goes, hey, putting the video together, and I'm thinking like Oklahoma, Fiesta Bowl. Do you think Owen would would do it? And I was like, dude, we we used Owen a couple years ago for video. It was great. He's really good at it. And he asked me a couple more times during the week. And then when we got on the plane Friday, he goes, I got really worried. We used Blaine too. I was like, well, that's, I mean, that's obviously good to Stu speech and his son. That'll be incredible. And he goes, yeah, well, Owen didn't get it back to me until a little later. So I was nervous. And then I opened it and listened to it. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, yeah, the guy knows how to do this. Like, it'll be okay. It was good. It was good. They said, go ahead on. No, no, you're good. I was going to say, they said they intended to use you. This is what they told me at dinner Friday mm-hmm. night. They said, look, one way or the other, it was either going to be Cincinnati as an old Big East foe or mm-hmm. Oklahoma, but you were going to be used. You were you were, you were, were on the itinerary at some point in the coming He's weeks. On the itinerary. Well, yeah. What I love, too. Unfortunately, no, Wes, our magic didn't work, dude. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't translate to Norman. This is what I game. love, though. We weren't at the game, so the record still, still rolls. Right? I didn't narrate the video with you. Go back and listen again. Owen's been chatting with us this whole time. Go back and listen again. And Owen goes into his deep. He goes oh, into he great. goes it's he awesome. goes Jeff Bridges in the hell or high water. We're gonna go deep. Yeah. We're yeah. Gonna go man, weren't you wanting I was just thinking, man. I wonder what this video is gonna be like, dude. I gotta get fucking. You, hell you know what he? Out. You know what it reminded me of? You know what the Jeff Bridges in hell or high water is a great shout by you too. Fantastic movie for those who haven't seen it. By the way, um. It reminded me of the uh, Sam. I'm, his last name's escaping me, but the yep, cowboy Sam in, yep. in, in Big in Big Lebowski at the end. That about wraps her up. Doesn't that just make you feel better that there's a dude out there who I hated to see Donnie go. But I do have it on good authority. There, there's a new little Lebowski on the way. I had a no country for old men vibe. Oh, big time, big yeah. time. Yeah. Yep. No, that was fantastic. That was well, well done. Was- it was tough too because I didn't do it on my mic. I I just did it on literally a iPhone headphone jack deal. So it was good. it was really distorting yeah, when I tried to kind of get gritty with the voice. So I'd like listen back because I, I I I did it about three times and I was like ah I got to switch it up and I kind of got I kind of had to mess with where I was putting it. But uh, the third time I was like oh, yeah whoa, that wasn't oh, bad whoa. I guess. Look at look at audiophile Owen over here, like turning into a tech marvel, editing just everything. I, well, I wanted it to sound good, dude. He, he downloaded. Sean, he, wanna, he, Sean, he downloaded. Job. He down. <laughs> he downloaded Audacity onto his computer. Yeah. And <laughs> was just mixing. Look at this effect. What does this do? What if I fade this in and fade that out? I wish I had some effects. I would put a little verb on there. You know what I mean? On the a little, little on the ones, on the ones and twos. Big the, the old whip it. The old whip it reverb. Wah, 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 wah. You know what I mean? Oh, and dude. next time, do it through one of your guitars and bust out the wah pedal there. Yeah, man. that would be cool. <laughs> two two positive stories from the sideline during the game, of, of which not a lot of positive happened. Uh, Jed and I were talking, Beanie chasing down. That was Dylan Gabriel, right? Right, Jed? Chased him down. No, it was a wide receiver. He had two. He's yeah. the one that made the tackle on the five on the 50-yard catch. That, that but made he'd it also to 17 to 7. Yeah. Because what's so, the first thing I told you after the field goal? 100%. I said that was a four-point tackle by Beanie. So because it looked, I, that dude was scoring. And Beanie flew across the field from the backside, made that tackle inside the five, 
and that kind of effort again yeah. in a game like that or not it's not lost on you know people paying attention that that saved us four points they're in the yeah. 60s if Beanie doesn't make that tackle right so Beanie makes a tackle. they hold him hold him to a field goal Sean Martin's coming off and I'm just kind of I've got my camera up seeing if I can find anything Sean Martin yeah. starts to come off stops turns around and goes over to Garrett who's warming up on the sidelines and just talked with him dapped him up hugged him and I'm like okay like legitimately you see the the older the leaders like they they care about each other i told you the story before like frazier came off and asked me a couple games ago is sean okay like they care about each other. yeah third quarter uh oklahoma scores right so we're we're playing catch up once again the entire offensive line is coming over i'm standing where they're gonna take the field once the kickoff's done and all of them all 10 of them are just talking to each other like okay here we go business as usual like pumping each other up Jaquay, he's a talker and quay is trying to get everybody going and motivated and I, we're down things are not looking great but it's still like i took note of that like these guys are still like they're they're not they're not really shaken they still maintain calm and focus and and it just didn't nothing just produced that night from you it. big daddy did you bump into garrett's family at the hotel no, I didn't get to see them there. there Friday night, yeah. I, I got to hang out with them for a few minutes when, with Garrett. But, uh, yeah, but his parents were there. His brother was there. So it was cool to see them come into, like, again, all these things just afterwards you reflect on it. You're like, man, uh, it's just well, so, yeah, you so many that reasons it. to wish that would have gone differently. You know, like, but, if it goes differently, the stories that we get, like, this is a much more jovial, like, even the dumbest <laughs> thing. It's just like, oh, wasn't that if great? We, if, 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 if we would have like, somehow, if we would have somehow won Saturday, I'd be doing this episode with no pants on right yeah, now. And, yeah. And doing, <laughs> and doing Nana Nana Boo Boo to the Sooners about beating them twice, right, as they backdoor out to the SEC, baby. That's the... Fine we've been of, making fun of how, how undisciplined Oklahoma was for a guy like, running just, into their punter just, and fumbling. Yeah, like, it, exactly. Like it just fell down behind me, right? My towing receipt from the from the pit game. It's like Dang. we talk about the the margins of happiness and and and, and ecstasy, right? I mean, it, we lose that pit game and back in September, and my car gets towed, and I look like it's the worst weekend ever. But you know, that's just well, don't lie, day. man. You're doing this episode without your pants on anyway. Yeah, the pants are already on. We just did. <laughs> well, and right. another another sad thing from it is the the Oklahoma folks, the digital team and their video board folks with Sooner Vision are some of our absolute best friends in the industry. Like my guy Theron took a picture with me pregame on the field. Like I and I'm bummed, and he's their basketball guy, and Oklahoma's not coming to Morgantown this year, so that's the last time I'm going to get to see him until, like, yeah. our conferences in the summer, so where we used to see each other at least once or twice a year, now it's like, I'm not going to get to see Max and Jacob and Theron and those guys like I did, so that was kind of sad, but they, you know, losing is far, far sadder than, like, okay, I'll text you guys later, I'm going to go cry in the locker room a little bit, so. Were you in the media room, Big Daddy? When that beat reporter was trying to defend Dylan Gabriel yes. running the yes. ball, well, we want a redshirt Jackson. Folks, I'm like, what does that have to you, do with running Dylan Gabriel? <laughs> we we see Jed a little energetic here, and he can get on a soapbox just a touch. I have never seen someone sandpaper his butt cheeks 
the way that that reporter post game was because he was, it was Oklahoma. It was a student reporter. He started by telling us about how he's a Kentucky man and he doesn't really even like Oklahoma. Yeah. So everybody in the room shut down immediately, but then was not listening to the actual words Jed was saying and was just trying to defend Oklahoma, regardless yeah. of whether the situation might be apt or not. You already got the win. We can talk about the minutia here and you can be in, you know, a person and discuss it. And Jed was just, like trying to nail this kid and was getting so frustrated. Like I could feel you shaking just, the table underneath. I'm just like, all I was saying, I thought Brent Venables was smarter than to do something like that. That was stupid. You're up by 32 points. You're in a title run and you're running your starting quarterback for no reason at all, other than to score eight touchdowns and silence the fans about your OC. I'm like, what? you're bigger than that. You're better than that. What are you doing? Oh, well, we want a red shirt, Jackson Arnold. What does that have to do with anything? anything? At one point you yelled, we don't have any, you don't have any other quarterbacks. You don't have any other yeah, quarterbacks. put him in the next play. series. And and for that matter, I don't even care if Dylan Gabriel's playing. I don't even care if he's going to play action and getting the ball out fast. He's running down the field, taking shots. What are you doing? And the kid doesn't know Jed was a quarterback. Like he doesn't know the credentials. So he's just, <laughs> man, he doesn't man. know the credentials. And yeah. People are just like boiling in the room. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just thought, uh, oh my goodness, it, that was, yeah, that's okay. One more thing before we, awful. before we wrap this up, I need your guys' opinion on this. You could tell me if I'm wrong because you were there and maybe it's different in person, but I think that cutting the lights thing after touchdowns is so dumb. NFL teams are doing that now. College teams are doing that now. One, it's dumb because you can't see what's happening on the field. Like, yeah. and I, and I, and again, I know that that's for the in-stadium atmosphere, so you can tell me if it's cooler in person. But two, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd love that if I was in the stadium either. I mean, I'd probably love it in the student section because I'd be pushing yeah, people over Wes, and stealing beers and stuff. But, like, if I'm an adult, I don't know if I love that in the student. It's in the, cool in the, in the stadium. stadium. I thought it was cool, but it's dumb. In other words, how did that pass muster with the attorneys? Somebody's carrying a, a you know, a, a drink carrier full of beers down the steps, and all of a sudden the lights go out? I mean, how did the attorneys say this is a good idea? It you've got a lot of you got a lot of elderly people who go to those football games. Like, yes. Again, I'm it, sure if I was that, in the student the section, I would have loved it because I'd have been slapping on my buddy's asses. Fight, and been like, who oh, yeah, was that? that who, fight, who just grabbed your ass? Who was that? That man? fight was in the dark. It was in the dark. Yeah, it, what, so that it, too. Like, it, it is cool. It anything. is. It's cool. It is cool. And they did a fourth quarter, like heading into the fourth quarter, did a light show. I appreciate the technology. It really is is kind of cool and neat. It's very expensive. Like, I get that. It was I, cool. I, I agree with you guys. Would they score the first touchdown? Let's do the light show or fourth quarter where we announce like, hey, we're going to do a light show here. I, I do think you need to be a little situated. And this is just me being a bit of a prude with how we have to do game management up top too. I think you have to be situational. You know what I mean? Like, when BYU against BYU says they didn't get to talk to you guys, do you everyone thought I was too good for you? When that player went down in the BYU game, it took up an entire TV timeout because he was injured and he was hurt and down the whole time. We had three things we had to do that break, including a recognition for WVU Children's Medicine that we had to break and scramble for the next 20 minutes. I was on the radio with our marketing folks trying to reorganize everything because there's a player down on the field. That's the game. We do not want to get on and be like, all right, fans, get on your feet. It's time for the WVU Medicine. Like, that's oh, yeah. unbelievably <laughs> rude. 
when when you see a situation like Drake Stoops is tits up on the ground, we don't know <laughs> if he's hurt, we don't know what's going on, and then Wilson's going off. Maybe I don't press the light go black, let's go party button. Maybe I wait for a second just to see. We just don't do it for that. Have a sense of the moment. Have a sense of the moment. That was the only thing where I was like, let's just, we can do it situation. When you're you're scoring your seventh and eighth touchdowns of the game, do you still (laughs) need to black the place out? At that point, fans were just like, yeah, yeah, the lights. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you're like, golly. You're right, Big Daddy. The the entrance part of it, when, when when you're in the tunnel coming onto the field, I mean, it's a very different. It's almost like you you feel like you're they're showing off that they can turn their lights on and off and be at full power so quickly. It's like yeah, I'm like, doesn't it take you like two hours to warm those lights back up? You, yeah, you can snap a finger a and boom, they're right back. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive. I mean, it is really impressive for for an intro for a team intro that really adds something to it. And then yeah. the fireworks and everything else, of course, they stand out to the backdrop. But but I agree with you. Pick your spots. And, and for all the video nerds out there, uh, I know it drives like when we we sometimes we do um, black everywhere for country roads at basketball. And some of our video folks are like, can we not do that? Because then that changes what the court looks like while we're trying to film. And obviously football, a full stadium going dark. The lights are at least still on in the Coliseum, a full stadium going dark. If you're trying to get reacts or anything, you're you're. Yeah. It's all kinds of technical Good stuff. Luck trying to get like celebrations on the sideline or something. Yeah. 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 So. I know, I know video people. folks don't love it that much, but all it takes is one person out of 83,000 to be stepping down a step, carrying <laughs> food yeah. or beer or and and just miss the step. I can't believe the attorneys, NFL and otherwise, have been cool with this. That, that's the part that surprises me. In this litigious world that we live in, that's the part that surprises me. Part of the well, in-game uh, experience, man. And, and you know, it. too, it's... When you get your ticket stub, well, I guess now most of the tickets are are digital, right? But whatever, when you read the verbiage on there, I'm sure it says we cannot be held liable for if you fall down the stairs when we turn the lights off, that's on you. And let me me tell you something. That's going to hold about as much water as my attorney buddies tell me that the signs at Walmart, not responsible for items stolen, not responsible. He said, yeah, let's find out. Let something get stolen. Let something hit your car and see how much that sign's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it won't be any of us who ever uh, have to find that out, and we will not be going to the Palace on the Prairie at least anytime soon. Smell you later, Sooners. I wish I could say it's been fun, but it hasn't. I mean. Yeah, I've not had a good time. I've not had a good time. I've not had a good time. BYU, I've had a good time. Sooners, not a good time. Wes, let me tell you something in closing here. This is – this struck me. In the 12 years – since we joined the Big 12, we've lost by 17 or more points 24 times. Mm. In the previous 12 years, in the Big East, we lost by 17 or more points seven times. Four of those were Miami, who left the league in 04. So three times after two, from 2004 to 2011 did we get beat by 17 points. These types of games in this type of environment, again, the margin for error is so slim, you better show up and bring it. And it, we've talked before how difficult it is to week in, week out, get your kids to bring their best effort. Well, you could be Oklahoma State, who's a ranked team and on a hot streak. And if you don't bring your best, you don't get beat 17 to 10 by UConn or you're down at halftime by a field goal, uh, whatever the case might be at a South Florida. No, no, no. You could beat 45 to three. You get embarrassed. If you don't bring your best in this league, they they leave you behind. They blow your doors off. 
And that's what stood out. It's just I'm tired of games in that building all the way back to really our second trip there, feeling like that one the other night fell. The 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 pettiness of Oklahoma, not towards us, the amount of times they showed Oklahoma State versus UCF highlights and the score on the big board. Sean, Sean, I, I, they're the... I did like it a little bit because that's us with Pitt. We do put the Pitt score up there just to get people to boo. Yeah, not when they just beat us the week before. That's now that's there's the other Sean. I Sean, like, I, I, part I, of me did respect it. Like, okay, man, they're really they're digging in here. I and, and they and they think that the Big Twelve refs are so out to get them because oh my goodness, they miss a like Oklahoma never got a favorable call over the last couple of decades. I, Sean, I said this uh, on the preview show last yeah. week. The 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 Oklahoma Sooners are the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, that's like fair. yeah, Texas is the Yankees. But you're still the Red Sox. Like, we don't like you either. You're insufferable as well, too. You've become just as bad as they have overall because of all this success you've had in the last two decades. Like, they they think that they're like one of the little guys fighting the fight, and the Big 12 hates us, and Texas is the worst. And no, you are the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees, okay? And I am so glad that I don't have to deal with those. Did you hear the story anymore. that Big Daddy told about the reporters? telling us he was from Kentucky, yada, yada, yada. Here's how that started. When we were in the post-game press room, they're sitting there, and you could tell they were Oklahoma beat reporters, right? One of them came in late. The other two were sitting there. And I asked one of them, I said, let me ask you something. Would you have rather won last week in Bedlam and lost 45-3 to today? Would you trade places with Oklahoma State? And that's when the guy, I'm not even from here. I'm I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm, that's all this started, you know? And, and even the other Oklahoma writers were looking at him like, who the hell is this guy? We're not, you we're know? not with him. We're not with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they would probably yeah. said no, because we don't care about Oklahoma State, even though we played their highlights 57 times on the Jumbotron and, you know, won't shut up about how much we got robbed in that game on one pass interference call that wasn't thrown at the very end of the game. Like the previous 58 minutes didn't matter or anything like that. And like, I don't know, like I still don't have nightmares about TJ Simmons and excessive blocking in 2018. And we've seen that called so many times since then, haven't we? I digress. Like. West kind of like how that was actually a backward lateral, not a forward pass against Green Bay on Sunday. You are 100% correct. You are 100% correct. It's fine. I'm fine. Packers probably win if the right call's made there. I I don't know about that, but oh boy. But you know what you're not going to do, Sean? You're not going to sit on Twitter for an entire week and bitch moan and complain about it, are you? No. I'm I'm an old man. You're a victim of sideline Canada. You better believe it. I got sideline candidate for the first two. We drives, better get out I was of just here. like, here it is. This is sideline candidate day in listen, Pittsburgh. Listen, listen. The only NFL talk that we have on this program, all right, is about our Lord and Savior, Gino Eugene Geno Smith, who did it once again and it, somehow it, has uh, those Seahawks tied for first place in their division. All right. The Patriots that's are, high, baby. Selling the farm for him, baby. He's going I to the Pats. Him and I Will Greer at the Patriots. Let it begin. Did you see that that game winner? Low and away. Perfect ball placement. That was just a thing of beauty. By I can't wait. I can't wait to buy one of those Geno Smith Seahawks throwback oh, jerseys when I'm, when I'm out in Seattle in about six weeks. I, I just can't. I just can't wait for it. All right. This has been fun, not really. I mean, it has with you, Sean, because it always is. But, uh, yeah. Um, tough couple days. Your, tough tough couple days. The good news is we roll along. We'll have your Week 12 pick them tomorrow. We will have the, what is it, Cincinnati preview on Thursday. And, of course, Phil Steele 
on Friday. So we'll roll along together. A lot in front of you still. Go win these last two games, finish eight and four, and uh, and maybe this one won't sting nearly as much. Don't let this type of game beat you two weeks in a row. That's the mantra going forward. Uh, the one thing we ask of you, as always, as we get out of here, is to be in here and tell in here about your new favorite WVU football podcast. Big thanks to Big Daddy. Big thanks to Skyler for putting this all together. And for Jed Drenning and Owen Schmidt, I am Wesley Euler. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.